You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Hello and welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. Um, quite a significant one. It's our fiftieth episode. We, we've actually hit fifty, which is fantastic. Um, it, it's been great to do so many of these, and I'm really, really glad that our fiftieth episode. We are looking at the latter half of season six of Classic Doctor Who, which is obviously the last few stories from the 1960s, the last few that are in black and white. Um, and obviously we we end season six on quite a big epic story, The War Games, which I've really been looking forward to talking about. Uh, I'm going to be talking about it and another couple of stories and the second Doctor era as a whole uh, with Jimmy. Hello. And with Greg. Hello, happy 50th. I know, the 50th episode. Um, so, uh, spoiler warning this week is obviously season six of Classic Doctor Who. We're going to be talking about uh, specifically the Seeds of Death, the Space Pirates, and the War Games, which, um, I, I mean, if you're behind on what happens in the War Games, then well done for going sort of 50-odd, nearly 60 years without, without seeing it. But... Um, it's it, it's quite important. It's quite big. Uh, but let's start, as I said, with the Seeds of Death. Uh, uh, the return of the Ice Warriors, uh, a returning enemy. I suppose there was no choice, really. They had to come back with sort of the costumes probably didn't... Uh, were probably quite expensive, and they, they were memorable. I think it, it's... The Ice Warriors, the monsters, a lot more memorable than the Ice Warriors, the story, I think. Uh, so, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on the Seeds of Death? I quite enjoyed it. I think, um, I know some people seem to prefer the original Ice Warriors story, but for me, this was a lot better. I really enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I liked the setting. I liked the way they handled the sort of future and how they thought it would be. I mean, the whole thing about people losing interest in going into space once they hit the moon. And I mean, you know, back in those 60s sci-fi days, all most people would have been predicting, oh, they will go to the moon, then we'll go to Mars, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that. And instead, the, the show predicted, yep, yeah, no, nah, we're going to give up after the moon. And so, you know, they got it a bit closer to a reality than the more idealistic sci-fi that came out around the same time. So I think that was a nice little touch. And, yeah, I loved the whole thing about 
Eldred trolling the others about needing his obsolete ship and, oh, my poor old useless ship, you need that. And it was quite a good dynamic. And I think guest casts were great. I think, um, oh, what's her name? Kelly. Um, something Kelly was a really great character and she was she was really good. It was good to see a powerful woman in the Troughton era because usually you don't get that as often, especially in the 60s stories, but she was quite competent and quite good. Um, and I love Jamie's little line early on about when um, they talk about T-Mat being foolproof and he's like, oh, well, the Doctor's got a ship, but it's not foolproof and the look he gives the Doctor and the Doctor getting sort of offended. I love the dynamic between this TARDIS team. They just, it's just so much fun. Every story in this era, I think, I think I'd say the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe are probably my favourite TARDIS team of the era. I, yeah, I absolutely love their dynamic together and I think it worked out really well here. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's, I mean, like most of the Troughton era, even the weaker stories, I'm not necessarily saying this is a weaker story, but even the weaker stories do have sort of just little fantastic moments that, completely sort of rescue them we talked about this with the dominators in the last time uh, in the last episode we did um and i think yeah it's it's those little jamie and the doctor moments in this one that are particularly brilliant and i'd say actually the weakest episode of the whole serial is i think it's episode four uh which the doctor isn't in he's sort of unconscious in a corner for a week uh because patrick trout was off on holiday um and it, it, yeah, it really does miss something when we lose the Doctor. And I think actually it's more noticeable in this story than perhaps it is in any other story where a, a cast member sort of goes off on the jollies for an episode or two. Um, but yeah, it, it's the moments that the Doctor are in are absolutely fantastic. I love the episode five cliffhanger, which is the Doctor sort of getting overwhelmed by the foam. It's just pure sort of Troughton overacting at its absolute finest. It's brilliant. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts on this one? I do think the number one reason to watch this is for Patrick Troughton. And the shame about that is that, I mean, apart from like missing an episode, like he really doesn't do much in the story all the way up until the very end. I mean, episode six, he basically goes on a, on a rampage of destruction through the ice warriors, which is very fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, when he's on screen in this, he's just electric. I mean, you know, like you said, this, this kind of slapstick over the top overacting like the, you know, the, the, the bug eyes when he's outside and the, the seed is inflating in front of him and, and yeah, falling into the foam and the, the little corridor chase scene where he's, you know, basically doing Scooby-Doo. Like it's, it's very funny. Um, and the other thing I really like about this is the, directing um there's a lot of inventiveness in the camera work here there's a lot of you know different angles like different wipes between scenes like it's very energetic it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to watch in that respect i just i just don't think the the story much like the original ice warrior story is is all that good i mean i, I it's not as we've said a lot this season it's not six episodes worth of of plot. Um, and it's, it, 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 it would tend to drag if not for those things, like keeping it more, more entertaining to watch. You know, and the other thing too, is like, I, 
don't get me wrong. I love watching Troughton do stuff like this. Like he's an incredibly interesting and dynamic performer. I just think that the the his character, like the second doctor in this in this season generally, but especially in this story, just isn't that interesting of a character anymore. I I he's he, there's a lot more like subtlety and and moral ambiguity about the second doctor in especially in season four, but even in, you know, in some of season five, whereas, you know, I hear it's, it's really just turned, turned a bit silly and, and that there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I love season 17 when Tom Baker is just completely unhinged. It's just, I, I just, as much fun as I have watching him, I just don't find him as interesting now. And I think that's a little bit disappointing. Um, but no, I, I don't think the seeds of death is terrible or anything like that. Like I said, it, it, it's a perfectly entertaining watch. It just there's there's not a lot to it once you dig beneath the surface. I think it's another one of those stories that would, that, as you said, it had benefited from being a bit shorter. It would have been an excellent four parter. It would have been sort of a really tight, pretty fast paced four parter. But instead, we have entire episodes with characters just on a spaceship waiting to get to where the plot's happening and all that kind of thing. It does have a few lovely touches. It is brilliantly directed. Um, and it, it's it feels like a story that they really, really wanted to be good. They really wanted to make work. We talked about how The Dominators was a little bit of a... It was a bit slapdash in terms of production, whereas this, it, it really feels like a lot of effort's being made and... They really are trying to produce something quite big and quite epic, um, even though they've only got uh, it's one. Is it one Ice Lord and one Ice Warrior costume? Do we never actually see more than one Ice Warrior on screen at once? Um, I don't think. Um, but yeah, I they, think there were two oh, in one on. scene. Was it maybe two? Then it, it's. I mean, what what it significantly doesn't have is the Ice Warrior costume that doesn't look quite right the one that chased victoria in the ice warriors and we don't see again until um the monster of peladon um so yeah maybe it maybe it is two two ice warrior costumes that were used in it but either way it, it sort of it, it it does feel like there's sort of this marauding army waiting there when it is only a couple of ice warriors um we do see the Doctor being quite brutal in this one. He's a little bit bloodthirsty. As Greg mentioned, he kind of goes off on a bit of a rampage in the last episode, but we already um, have sort of throwing together an Ice Warrior killing gun in an earlier episode and all that kind of thing. You know, they, they turn the temperature up to, at the very least, weaken the Ice Warriors. There is a danger that it could kill them. I think the temperature that the gauge shows, uh, the humans should probably be struggling with it as well at that point. But it's, yeah, it's quite a bloodthirsty story. Um, And I do wonder if this is kind of showing that the Doctor is willing to go, even this sort of fun second Doctor, this very, as Greg mentioned in this season, very silly second Doctor, uh, is willing to go a little bit further, is willing to sort of be more serious and obviously take life when necessary and it, it it kind of we do see just these little moments from the doctor there's a few that come up in the Pertwee era as well and where the doctor is just sort of a little bit handy when it comes to killing um when it when it gets desperate um 
But yeah, it's it's a good story for Troughton. Um, I, I'd agree, actually, that there's sort of slightly less to the character in this season, but what, what what's missing in terms of character is still there in performance. I think Troughton is still absolutely excellent. Um, and, you know, it, it, by this point, he'd, he had had enough. He was tired out and he, he did want to break and he did want to stop being the Doctor. Um, hence him leaving in a couple of stories' time. But yeah, he still seems to be giving 100% and he still seems to be enjoying it. Uh, let's move on to... It's it's an odd, interesting story, this next one. The Space Pirates. Uh, Jimmy, what, what are your sort of views on the Space Pirates? For me, it's definitely the dud of the season. It's um, even Dominators and Crotons, they weren't that good, but there was more to recommend them than this has. Not... It's not completely um, a, a loss, though. There are some good moments and stuff. Um, I think one of the things that really didn't help it was the terrible audio quality on all of the episodes except the surviving one. Uh, you'd think the longer the show had been going, the later the technology would get and the recordings people made would be better, but the quality was really bad and it made it a bit harder to enjoy the story. Um, one of the other funny things was, for me, in the surviving episode at the start, Usually the 60s episodes look so timeless and, you know, they could be any made at any time. They just don't seem to be stuck to an era and they can represent other eras as well. And yet the, the surviving episode starts and Penn's moustache, it looks, it looks Pertwee era, it looks 70s, it looks utterly ridiculous and it's just kind of funny to me. It completely gets rid of that timeless quality and makes it look very much of its time. Um, what else? The um, I, I thought it was interesting that they call them the space pirates, and they sort of didn't go into in on any of the pirate stuff. They were just sort of generic villainy thug type people, and yet even though that you'd think that do something with the pirate sort of thing, instead you've got Milo, and he's like something out of a cowboy movie, a Wild West prospector, a complete stereotype, and it's really cliche and it really detracts from the story unfortunately i thought i really found him so annoying but um i still managed to enjoy some parts of the story and i think it was um i think it was this time was the first time i'd fully seen it because i know i'd seen the surviving episodes many a time the surviving episode sorry and i think i must have started the audio before because i remembered stuff early on but i couldn't really remember the end so i think it might have been the first time i even fully watched the story and yeah i mean it's obviously a flawed piece, but the, the other weird thing is um, for almost every time it's mentioned in the story, they keep talking about the home planet, the home planet, and you think, are they supposed to not be human? Is it um, they're supposed to be aliens, and yet you get through something like five of the episodes and suddenly at one point Milo's mentioning Dom bringing his artefacts from Earth, and it's like, well, why are you suddenly calling it Earth? Like, Stick to the one thing. If you're going to call it home planet for the entire story and make it sound like they're aliens, stick with it. So that was a bit odd. And it was also on how quick Milo picked up that they're time travellers. I can't remember the exact dialogue, but it, they're, they're just talking about this ship and suddenly he's like, oh, so you're time travellers. Like, it's no big deal. It was really weird. But, you know, as I said, it's got a lot of faults, but it's, you know, still got some stuff to recommend it. Just, yeah, definitely the dud of the season for me, though. And what about you, Greg? Um, the dud of the season title for me is still with the Dominators. Um, I, I, I don't, 
I don't mind the space pirates terribly. This is the first time in a long time that I'd actually sat down and watched it. It's definitely, I mentioned, you know, back when we were doing the Hartnell stories that, you know, the smugglers and the savages are like the two most forgotten Doctor Who stories. I would say that the space pirates is number three on that list. You know, it's, it's something we have one existing episode, but then there's, you know, there's no other you know, video really, there's no telesnaps or anything like that. Like Jimmy said, the audio is terrible. Um, it's just, it's a difficult story to enjoy just physically. I think there's enough story here for like a three-parter. Um, I, I think like Robert Holmes's script has a lot in it that's actually kind of interesting, like the relationships between the, the different characters that he sets up. Like there's multiple factions, each with their own interests and their own desires, like some of which are conflicting. Milo is annoying, but it's definitely like Holmes playing around with that sort of, you know, unusual archetypal, you know, character that he liked to use so much going forward. But it's just so long and so slow. It's it's padded out to an unbelievable degree. I think, and this is... This is episode one is the, the, this, the, the first episode that takes the longest for the doctor and the companions to show up in the entire run of the show. I think that's true. It's over 15 minutes before we see any of them. Um, they, they, they really have very little to do in the story. I mean, it, it, it's, it's honestly one of these stories that feels like if the doctor had never shown up, that the, the, the story might have ended the same way. And it really has that feeling in the final episode where, you know, the, for production reasons, the, the characters are barely even in it. And it just, if they had been able to cut half of this out and, and streamline it, I think it would be, have a decent reputation, but as it stands, it's just so, so tedious. And I mean, there's, so many obvious scenes of padding in this, like so many like labored dialogue scenes with characters spelling everything out to each other that it's it's very clear that they needed to use this and spread and, and stretch it out to fill time. And they, they've done that a lot this season. It's it's very clear by this point why once it comes back for season seven, they cut the episode count in half because they just do not know how to fill. 44 episodes of television at this point. And, and that's really what lets down the space pirates. But I, I think, you know, as a, as a script goes and as a concept, it's not as bad as its reputation. I am certainly inclined to agree with you. It's, it's flawed. It, there's no getting away from the fact at all that the space pirates is flawed. It is overlong. It's, it's essentially filler in a season that's had a bit of trouble production-wise. They are struggling to get to the episode count. Um, various things have fallen through. The production team have fallen out with so far dependable writers, all this kind of thing. Um, and it's 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 another Robert Holmes story that just doesn't quite hit the nail on the head. Um, but we're, we're definitely seeing kind of little bits and bobs of what would make... Robert Holmes, uh, so well revered and remembered and loved as a Doctor Who writer, stuff is starting to sneak in here. Um, you know, with okay, characters like Milo, he's a bit annoying, but the sort of the uh, I guess out of 
out of normal context bumpkin kind of character is something Holmes would revisit and we'd see quite a lot of. Uh, there is some laboured but you know witty dialogue and that kind of thing. It's it's what's what's there is it's worth listening to. It's enjoyable even if it is just padding. Uh, this is a story that I think would sort of undergo maybe not as radical a uh, reassessment as the Enemy of the World did on Discovery, but I do think that it, its reputation would definitely have a bit of an upshot were it were more of it to exist. I think, like we did with Enemy of the World, we have the most boring episode. We have the one where nothing happens. The bad guy isn't even in it. It's the only episode of the story where he's not. Um, and I just, I, th- I think there's probably a lot of visual stuff to appreciate in this story that we just don't get on the audio. And yes, the audio is pretty poor quality and certainly more of a challenge to get through than I'd say anything else in the 60s uh, because of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like there. I think that what there is to like, though, is just few and far between. But I certainly, I agree with you, Greg, it has more redeeming features than the Dominators. And I'd actually say it has more redeeming features than the Crotons as well. Um, it's, yeah, it's one I'd like to see more of. It's It's higher on my list of episodes I'd like to be rediscovered than it probably is on most people's. But I do think we'd be pleasantly surprised. Uh, we do have a lot of the uh, sort of film footage of the model shots, and it looks pretty good, actually. You know, the, the, the ships, the space station, all that kind of thing. It does look rather good. Um, so, yeah, I think perhaps visually it would give us a lot more to appreciate. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's far from perfect. Uh, let's let's move on to the final story of this era, the, the final Second Doctor story, the final story of the 60s, and the one that last time uh, we did one of these episodes, we agreed was our favourite story of the season. Uh, it's 10 episodes long. It completely changes the landscape of Doctor Who. It sort of very heavily influences the way the show is going to be or sets up for the way the show is going to be for the next few seasons. But it, it, it does more than that. It it sort of sets down a, I hate this word, but it kind of sets down a law uh, for Doctor Who that has so far been absent. We've had little things like, you know, the monk has a TARDIS and the Doctor occasionally hinting about his civilization, but it's the war games that really just blows everything open. And as a result, it feels like the most personal story that's been to the Doctor so far. And it feels perhaps just a little bit more epic than anything else we've had so far. Um, It also sort of, as I've mentioned, is 10 episodes long. And while we've just talked about two six-parters that don't have the material to fill six episodes, this one, I feel, justifies its runtime. I feel as though the War Games is quite rightly a 10-parter, and to lose even one episode, you'd be losing some absolutely wonderful television. Uh, So, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on the War Games? I absolutely love this one. For me, it's not just the best of the season, it's the best of Charlton's entire era, personally. I love the darkness, especially initially, of the setting and the sort of World War I 
part of it and it just the horrors of war and it really does a good job of it and then you've got Lady Jennifer and Carstairs are brilliant guest characters making almost pseudo companions for the story and yeah it's I love the start of the story there and especially even setting things up early with the general and his glasses and hypnotizing the people and the trial that was just you know blatantly you know not even remotely fair and yet you've got some sweet moments with when the doctor and leaving and when um he says goodbye to Zoe and he gives her that little kiss on the forehead and then later when she rescues him he's calling her such a nice and clever girl and it's good to see the companions and doctor having a bit of affection I mean especially the way things got later in the 80s with you can't even touch them on the shoulder or whatever. It was a bit ridiculous. And here you can see how much the TARDIS team care about each other. And then another good thing, when Jamie gets captured and meets the red coat, and you sort of think, oh, they're going to come into conflict, and they even sort of tease at that happening. But then, no, he actually, he's, he's grown in his time with the Doctor. He's learnt things. He's developed. He can work with this red coat as an ally, as someone else who's been through the same thing. Well, not quite the same thing, but who's been taken out of time and going through all this trouble and he can sympathise with them and it just shows the character development, which, of course, at the end of the story all gets taken away and so I thought it was a nice bit of setup there showing how much he's grown right before you, they sucker punch us with him losing it. And, yeah, the Doctor and Zoe's bluffing being important generals or whatever when they're investigating the prison where Jamie's being kept. Brilliant performances from both of them, just the constant, how dare you, I'm important, leave, leave me alone, do as I say, blah, blah, It's They absolutely do such a great job with it. And then you've got the whole rest of the story and the development of the gradual reveals, like, oh, these things are TARDISes? Oh, there's a war centre controlling all these other times and the other times appearing themselves. I mean, that cliffhanger where they've got the Roman army charging at them was brilliant. Um there were a couple of weird things, though, like the when the German and the French dialogue isn't translated and, you know, they've established by this point as early as Marco Polo that every the, the TARDIS travellers can hear things in English. So it was a bit weird that they did that. But I, I think it kind of works for the sort of war story sort of tone they're going for, but it still feels a little bit off. And one of the other things is they, at one stage in the story, they do call the World War One zone the World War One zone, but... At one other point, it's almost like they were too scared to say World War One. They just sort of called it the 1914 to 1918 zone, and that just sort of threw me a bit. of It just seemed like, you know, why can't you say something that basic? It just came across weird. But, um, yeah, and then you've got the dynamic of the war chief and the warlord, and the warlord's more like this bureaucrat. Like, he doesn't come across like this monster or villain. He just seems like... He's some bored bureaucrat in charge of something who doesn't really have any great care about him until the end when he's on trial. And so it was such a good dynamic, though, the war chief knowing the doctor and the implication that he knew him when he was the first doctor. And again, the setup of the Time Lords, which we'll get to later. But I think for me, the story is almost perfect. The one fault I would say is that that Mexican general Arturo Villa is a bit too over the top probably more than a bit, actually. He's very over the top, but that's one tiny flaw in an otherwise damn near perfect story. So, yeah, I absolutely love this one and we'll get to the end later, I believe. But, um, yeah, that ending is incredible. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it's 
the way it builds and the way it adds things and kind of unfolds the mystery kind of consistently for quite a few episodes as to what's going on. Um, that, that there's a lot of action, there's a lot of mystery. It, it genuinely feels like it's been written to fill the full 10 parts as opposed to here's an idea and now I've got to squeeze it so that it lasts six weeks or whatever. And it, it, it really is, it really benefits from that sort of the the TARDIS and the War Chief, and it's just all slowly being revealed an episode at a time. It really does work well. Uh, Greg, what about you? What I think is interesting about the War Games is that it really plays with, like, not just its own ideas, but, like, with with, with the, the concepts that Doctor Who has played with in these first six years of the show. Um, it's... It's it's not even a, a historical story, of course, because it's taking place on an alien planet. But when it starts, you know, you think you're in World War One. You know, it, it opens as a historical story. And for a good chunk of it, there's absolutely no indication that, you know, anything else is going on. And, you know, the idea of, you know, what at the time they called the pseudo-historical and is now just in the modern show, just how things are done. We don't do pure historicals. There has to be a science fiction element. No, that didn't really exist at this point. The only story we've had that was like that was uh, the time meddler. And that was a similar thing where it started you out thinking everything was normal and then slowly seeded in this idea that no, no, there's something, you know, unusual in sci-fi going on here. So, you know, right off the bat, it's, it's wrong footing the audience. And what I really like about it too, is how just slowly and steadily, the revelations build throughout this story. Um, the, 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 the side rats or whatever they call them, the, you know, the, the quasi tardises that the war chief is using when they first appear and disappear, it uses that like whistling effect from the very start of the whole TARDIS dematerialization effect. But as the story goes on and as you learn more about them, and as you learn that they're effectively TARDISes, you start hearing more and more of the dematerialization effect and recognizing that this is actually the same, basically the same thing as what the doctor has. Um, it's, it's really layered. Well, you know, I, I mean, does it need to be 10 episodes? I, I will say that some of the plotting is a little repetitive. It does kind of bog down into a little bit of capture and escape, especially around episode seven, eight, but there's again, there's so much that's that's put in here to to build it up that it's still really entertaining to watch. You know, at, at no point does this ten episode story ever get boring, and that's a huge credit to to the writers. Um, you know, I talked uh, in the the seeds of death about how you know you can tell that Troughton's you know kind of getting tired of the role and is you know they've been playing up the silliness a lot. That is not the case here. Like this is like acting for him and he actually gets to go back into the more mysterious second doctor role in his final story. And it, and it really works because you can see written all over his face. Like he pretty much knows he has a much better idea of what's going on from a very early point than he lets on. And he can see like the evidence of time Lord technology around him. And he, you can tell that like, He's already figuring out, like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this on my own. And, of course, that leads to the very dramatic ending. 
I also like just some of the the visual aspects of this. Like I think the design on the the 1917 scenes especially is is very good, very convincing. Um, there's nice little details like the German commandant is very obviously modeled after uh, Eric von Stroheim in the uh, World War One movie Grand Illusion, the Jean Renoir movie. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a visually intriguing story. It's a fantastic bit of plotting. It actually gives character to the Doctor. The companions have a lot to do. I mean, it's it's. I, I don't know if it's my favorite Troughton story because I, I do love the two Dalek stories, but but man, it's good. Like it's one of the best of the entire 1960s for sure. You're right. It's you know how we've been talking about how all these sort of layers peel away as you get through the story, and it's really effective. You do sort of think, you know, did this story get any more in the way of planning or anything like that than anything else? Did they sort of think about it a bit more because obviously it's. Troughton's last story and but when you watch documentaries and read the info text on the DVD that kind of thing you get the impression that apart from perhaps a week's worth of advanced filming it's as thrown together as the rest of season six um, and it's in some ways it's just luck that it's so good I guess they've got a really good starting point you know they've got a really, really, really good set of scripts. They've got a really good TARDIS team. They've got a really good concept, plot, story, that kind of thing. Um, but it's it must be luck to an extent that this story works so well, the same as anything else in season six, really. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's absolutely great. Uh, in terms of, you know, you mentioned that it gets a bit capture, escape, capture, escape when we get to the seventh eighth episode it does i agree but you've also got things that make it feel fresh again so for example general smythe who's the main antagonist in the first couple of episodes he kind of disappears for a while you know once the action shifts to uh the american civil war zone or to the central zone he disappears, but then he comes back in the seventh episode, and that's kind of when he gets his comeuppance. Um, I, I really do like that they just used that to keep it fresh. Like, actually, it gives it a sense of scale as well. You know, that you can assume that General Smythe just went back to the 1917 zone, decided, right, it's not my problem anymore, and um, got on with being a horrible imposter general um, while the Doctor became someone else's problem. Um, so, yeah, I, I quite like that. I quite like just that sort of little little shift in structure that that brings just to kind of refresh the story a little bit halfway through. Um, it, it spins a lot of plates, and I think it manages to spin all of those plates quite well. Um, and it certainly feels less capture escape capture escape than even some four parters we've had at this stage um so we agreed to talk about the final episode of the war games uh, separately because it's it is the resolution to the war games but it's kind of the story itself is wrapped up in episode nine uh, which is when the doctor goes this is too big for me to deal with 
I now need to sacrifice my freedom and my way of life to bring in the Time Lords because I can't deal with this on my own. And over the course of a few episodes, because the Time Lords even are mentioned earlier on, that's about episode four, but over the course of quite a few episodes, it's built up and built up and built up, and all of a sudden, it, it it does. It goes big. It the story itself turns around and goes. This is the biggest Doctor Who story ever, and now we're going to make it even bigger. And so we have this tenth episode where the Time Lords essentially mop up what's gone on and make the Doctor answer for his six seasons worth of essentially being on the run. So. Let's let's focus just specifically on the tenth episode of the War Games. Uh, Jimmy, talk to us about it. I think it does such an incredible job of revealing the Time Lords and setting them up, and I love how they're almost godlike in power, like just casting up force fields, disintegrating people out of time, and so on. But even though they are like that for the bulk of the story, you still have these little hints of how they're going to be later on, like um, when. The war, the warlords' troops arrive and manage to get their knockoffs, not as good TARDIS, and they manage to land on Gallifrey and invade the trial. I mean, that 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 sort of sets up the later eras where they're not so powerful, and you can sort of get that glimpse of it here. And they're also a bit more human because they sort of they're still very high and mighty in the trial part. But then you've got the one time lord that goes off to talk to Jamie and Zoe. And he's he's basically like, oh, you you have compassion for him. You you are your your friends with him. Like he's surprised and shocked, but he's like, oh, okay, these emotional people are you know caring about the doctor, and he will let them say their goodbye. And I thought that was very sweet and just sort of again a hint that the time lords aren't just some monolithic godlike power. There's still some humanity and decency, and there's still some weaknesses. And so I think they did a really good job of that. And yeah, not just this episode, but the last few before it. The Doctor's fear and resignation of the Time Lords is just so brilliantly portrayed. Troughton really acts it well. And the way Jamie's like, oh, they're your people, so they're your friends then. It's all good. And the Doctor's just like, yeah, no. And the way he doesn't even want to try to escape, but he sort of gives in and puts up a little effort because Jamie and Zoe are so insistent and he doesn't want to disappoint them. It's just, it's really heartbreaking in the end when they you get there and they're saying their goodbyes and I won't forget you, you know, and then he's just the second they leave, he's like, yeah, they will, won't they? And it's nice that they at least got to keep a little memory of him, but it's still an absolutely heartbreaking ending, especially for Jamie. I mean, Zoe comes a long way and develops a lot in just a season, but Jamie's been with the Doctor since basically the start and he's really grown and developed a lot over the years and just gets sent back into the war not knowing anything that he's learned. It's heartbreaking and yeah it's a really brutal sad ending and it's just handled so well that seeing them back in their own time and it's nice that they actually got that Tanya actress back from wheeling space to have that scene with Zoe because with Jamie you're just getting going onto the war and you don't really see anything but with Zoe you get that whole oh I thought I forgot something but it's nothing important and it's yeah their ending it's just so powerful and so depressing having them lose everything that made them what they were and the doctor having to go on without them and then basically being sentenced to death. I mean, they hadn't really established. They went with the whole your appearance has changed before, but I mean, 
it's new incarnation, it's a new life, it's basically, it's basically they execute the Doctor, and I mean, what an ending to an era, that's absolutely incredible, not just as an end to Troughton's era, but as an end to the 60s era as a whole, it's a sort of turning point for the show, and yeah, I just absolutely love that episode, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it, it, it certainly wraps up really the 60s as a whole like the the whole episode just kind of screams the doctor who you have known and loved is dead now it's never going to be like this again it's going to be completely different um and it's it, it works so well and the fallout of it it genuinely does last for a few seasons really i like the fact that in season 7 they didn't just wrap it up and carry on it's season seven ends with the doctor still trapped on earth and very little has changed and he's at the beck and call of the time lords almost um and that keeps going for i mean genesis is a mission for the time lords genesis of the daleks that's season 12 that it, i'm sure we have another mission oh brain of morbius that's a mission for the time lords isn't it and it just keeps going and it's it's all the fallout from this sort of one episode and it's i really do like the fact that it suddenly grounds the character of the doctor a little bit it 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 doesn't give much away he is still a mystery but we, we just we know a little bit more about him now and i think that actually sort of enhances that mystery uh somehow uh greg your thoughts on the final part of the war games the end of this era I, obviously, it's a it's a landmark episode in the history of Doctor Who, and obviously, it's a it's a wonderful uh, example of television. There's just a few things that, that jumped out at me. Uh, just real quick, we mentioned you know you mentioned that the you know the term Time Lord comes up before this. It's actually interesting. I think it's in like episode three or four or something like that. The first time we ever hear the term Time Lord in Doctor Who is a random conversation in a hallway between two characters talking about the war chief. Like there's no dramatic introduction of it at all. It's, it's, it's very interesting, but uh, anyway, yeah. Episode 10. Um, it's amazing because they've, the, the, I mean, this is, it's the end of, of one of their longest seasons. It's the end of the season, which has been, it, it, besieged with production problems, which has been just stretched out, you know, beyond the breaking point in terms of trying to make everything work. And I mean, they, they are clearly basically out of money at this point. Like it's, they, they, they do the absolute best they can. And I think the sound design, like that, that organ track that they use for the Time Lords is fantastic. Like I love the, the lighting, you know, like the, the brightness increasing in the TARDIS when the, when the Time Lords talk to him, but I always do find the the moment where, you know, the, the scanner finally resolves itself and we see what we now know as Gallifrey for the first time. And it's, it's a TARDIS parking lot. And it's just not it, like the, the image on the screen just does not match the grandeur of everything around it. But, you know, that moment aside, though, the, the performances, like Jimmy was saying, of the Time Lords, it, it's... It's very regal, very godlike. You know, Troughton is basically playing the episode like a like a child who's been caught being bad by his parents and is now like defiantly defending his own actions. And it in and 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 it and it's just it's just so interesting. You know, the doctor says in 
early on, like well, Jamie asked, well, why did you leave? And he says, because I was bored, you know, and, and, and you see like that the, the time Lords just don't have any concept of like the importance of what the doctor's actually doing. And it, it redefines the character in many ways, because of course we've, we've never really gotten much of a, an explanation for why he is the way he is other than just what's developed organically through the stories. I mean, the only real mention that he's made of his history is all the way back in Unearthly Child, where he refers to himself and Susan as exiles and says one day they hope to return. And now you find out that, well, that's not exactly true. He basically exiled himself and now he's been, you know, doing what he's doing. Um, yeah, and, and like you guys were saying too, this 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 whole story, this well, I say story, this one episode, just recontextualizes all of Doctor Who going forward. Like I, 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 I know that of course at this point they had an idea of what they were going to be doing in season seven, but there's just no way they could have known that what they were doing here would be such a landmark, would have repercussions that would be felt decades later, and yet yet it does. I mean. Talk about Jamie and Zoe's departure and how heartbreaking it is. I mean, think about you, you go all the way forward to, you know, series four of, of the new series and, and, you know, Donna's departure is under somewhat similar circumstances. And that is treated like an absolute horrible tragedy. Whereas you know, obviously in these 60 stories, we don't have the same emotional intensity, but, you know, you, you, when when you when you think about what you're seeing, it's 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 every bit as tragic. Like Jimmy was saying, you know, these are characters that have such a long history with the Doctor, and that's all being taken away from them. It's like I understand, you know, the Time Lords are just doing it to you know maintain the timeline and so on, but it's almost comes across as a punishment for them. It's 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 really sad. It's but yeah, I mean, it, this is this is a legendary episode for. For so many reasons, it's beloved. It's 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 fantastic. It's 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 great. I I really don't have much more to say than that. It's 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 possibly the single most important episode of Doctor Who. Period. I'd also go as far actually as to call it one of the best individual episodes of Doctor Who there's ever been. As well, I, I can think of very very few that sort of top this. It, it's it, it really is brilliant stuff. And the fact that it's part 10 of a story, we should be bored and knackered and just crying out for it to end by now, but we're really not. Uh, and it just manages to be something exceptional. Um, I, I did find it amusing, Greg, what you said about um, our first first view of Gallifrey essentially being a car park, because, of course, with Big Finish, a very big very big percentage of the visuals we have linked to Big Finish are, of course, in a car park. So that's it's nice that the car park tradition is continuing in the Doctor Who universe. Um, but yeah, it, I, I have nothing but love for the War Games as a whole, but particularly this final episode. It's It has so much to do, and it does it excellently. And it's, it's emotional, it's atmospheric, it even sort of takes a couple of minutes to kind of let the Doctor have a greatest hits moment. You know, here are all the evilers I've been fighting against and we get a Cyberman cameo and a Dalek cameo and a, a, a Quark cameo. Um, 
and it, it's just excellent it, it really does work so well and it, it's it feels like a prototype for big epic doctor who in the 21st century i don't think the classic series ever manages to go this big again and i don't think we get anything where the stakes are as high until perhaps the parting of the ways um, i'm happy to obviously debate that long into the night but yeah it, it, i i do think it's it, it's a really wonderful individual episode and i'm glad that it isn't just tacked on to the end of a story as some regenerations are i'm glad that we go out of the way in this episode to say goodbye to jamie and zoe to say goodbye to the second doctor but so much is established at the same time it, it really does feel as though the series is set up to not just run through the 70s but to keep going as long as it has a lot of people say that the daleks is essential for you know doctor who's continuation a lot of people say the 10th planet is essential for doctor who's continuation i think this in some ways is perhaps more important i think the daleks assured short-term success i think the 10th planet gave us the idea that the lead actor could change but i think it's the war games that really gives us the platform or gives doctor who the platform it needs to just keep on going forever and bear in mind it was made at a time where popularity had really dwindled and there were real questions as to whether even short-term doctor who had a future um I do also think that the next story we're going to discuss, which will obviously be the next time we do one of these episodes, is just as important in terms of that as well, Spearhead from Space. Um, but obviously when Doctor Who returns, it's in colour, it's Earth-based, and it's very, very different. Uh, and I do look forward to talking about that. So obviously, you know, we've discussed the last few stories here, but let's just take a little bit of time to talk about the companions that do leave us, uh, the characters even that do leave us in the war games. Um, for the first time ever, a season of Doctor Who is ending with all of the regular cast departing. Um, so first of all, let's talk about Zoe as a companion. You know, has she been a hit? Has she been a miss? She's certainly not the character that we're initially introduced to in The Wheel in Space. But I still think there's there's quite a lot there to love, and I still think that she is one of the stronger companion characters that we see. Uh, so, Jimmy, your thoughts on Zoe? I think she's an excellent companion, and it's amazing how much she grew over such a short time. I mean, she's only got just over a season. She joins in the final story of season five, so she's only had just over a season, yet she's gone from basically starting off as this oh, she's just a computer, she's not emotional, she's just, yeah, no different to a machine. And you see her grow and develop and have fun, like, and the way she challenges the Doctor sometimes, like when in the Crotons she's saying, oh, the Doctor's almost as smart as I am. And just she becomes this more cheery, confident character and, you know, expressing herself and still using her skills, blowing up computers that... <laughs> She doesn't like, she's just, it's such an amazing thing to see a character grow so much in such a short time. And then, of course, as we know, the ending, the warm games, she forgets it all and, oh, I think I 
thought something important was happening. Ah, doesn't matter. And it's just heartbreaking. She goes from having learnt all this emotional stuff, developed and grown and changed as a person, and she basically gets shoved back in a box. She's just going to be a computer again and, you know, no one really cares about her anymore. No one, you know, it's it's a heartbreaking end to a brilliant character. And, yeah, I think she's one of the great characters of Troughton's era. She's such an amazing companion and to do so well and so much in such a short time is just, yeah, really great stuff from her. And what about you, Greg? It's always great. Um, I, I think a lot of it's down to Wendy Padbury's performance. I mean, she's she's got this just like wonderfully infectious smile. Like you, she she has she's having fun like traveling with the with the doctor and Jamie and and we know that the actors all had a, an incredible time like performing together too, and that really comes across on screen. Um, you know, as a character, like the one, the one thing that, that, that disappoints me a bit about her arc is that in Wheel in Space, they really set up the idea, like Jimmy was saying about her, you know, being raised emotionlessly and like being, you know, possibly almost a cautionary tale against the way that her society was training its children. But I mean, by the time you hit the Dominators, like most of that is just out the window like she's not you know she's not playing the character as super serious or anything like that they're already just having a having a blast traveling together so you know i i I wish they had you know explored that part of her a little bit more and you know obviously i I think if the show was made now these stories were made now with that same concept they would go into it more um, but th- that's that's a minor a minor thing. The other thing that I always find interesting too is you know, and she's she's a companion you know from the future, you know, kind of like Stephen was. But what's interesting is like in, in Seeds of Death, for example, it's set right around the same time as when she's from, and yet she has no idea at all what Tmat is. It's it, it, they 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 they, and again, I know that the season was slapdash and thrown together, but they just. They they never they never get like a, a consistency that they should, but I, I think her performance just really carries it through, and her relationship with the other two just really, really carries it through. And and by the war games, you know she she's phenomenal in that story, like taking charge, like essentially you know helping lead the the rebellion. Like it it's there is certainly a lot of development for her, and, and that and that does lead to that that tragic ending where it's where it's taken away and. Yeah, it's it's a sad way to go out, but I, I, this is this is the most enjoyable TARDIS team I think of the, of the '60s to watch. Like it's the most fun to watch these characters together, and and Zoe is a huge part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that sort of Zoe's defining moment really is that leading the resistance in in the war games in the final few episodes of that like it, she is the stronger uh or the more intelligent i suppose character of her and jamie and she is she's able to take charge and she's able to organize and calculate and that kind of does play to those initial traits laid out but yeah there's far far more to zoe than uh being a sort of slight 
comparison to the Cybermen, I guess that's where the whole logic computer thing comes from uh, in the wheel in space. But yeah, she's she's far, far more than that. And it's great that in her final story, we do get to see that very, very clearly. Um, we're also saying goodbye to Jamie, who's been with the second Doctor for every single story but one. Uh, he joined in the Highlanders. Uh, they made a historical companion work, which is something that earlier in the 60s they very actively sort of rejected, realised it didn't work very early on with Katerina. Whereas Jamie does work, Jamie does grow, Jamie does gain an understanding. And I think Jamie works so incredibly well because there's always a level of naivety there. Um, obviously as well... It, the second Doctor without Jamie is you just, it's virtually unimaginable. The two characters just work together so incredibly well. They are possibly the best double act Doctor Who's ever seen. I know that's a very, very big claim, um, but they're, they're excellent. They're an absolute joy. Uh, Patrick Trout and Fraser Hines are an absolute joy to see on screen together at any point at all. There's no point where you don't believe that these two characters are the best of friends. Um, so, Jimmy, talk to us about Jamie. I think Jamie's an excellent companion and definitely one of the best. I mean, I'm a huge Hart and Lira fan, but Jamie really makes Trout and Zira something amazing. He's got, as you say, they try they tried a companion from history before or didn't really try even with Katarina and just killed her off straight away. And yet Jamie shows it could be done well and he had such a great dynamic with not just the Doctor, but with all the other companions, like with Polly and Ben. They're, they're both the modern companions, and so you can contrast their attitudes with his, and they just work so well together. And then you think, well, once they're gone, how's it going to go with Victoria, who's another historical companion, and yet he just slides into the new dynamic and makes it work straight off, straight from the off. And then, of course... When Victoria's gone, you get Zoe and she's from the future instead of the past. And so you get this whole other dynamic again. And so it just really helps Trout and Zira to have so many different dynamics of the companions. And even with Jamie being there the whole time, you get a lot of variety in his performance and things change, things grow. And he goes from not knowing much, if anything outside of his own time in the first story to by the end, he's just as competent and confident as Zoe or anyone else in the war games. It's, yeah, he he's such a great companion, such a great dynamic and definitely one of the highlights of Trout and Zira. And it's, yeah, such a shame again to see him lose his memory and lose all that and he's suddenly just back in his time fighting the Redcoats, not knowing or caring any of this amazing stuff that's happened to him. And so, yeah, it's, again, a heartbreaking ending to an amazing companion. It's, I suppose, very sort of up for debate. Who loses more by having their memory wiped, Jamie or Zoe? Because uh, Jamie's essentially thrown back into a war. And I know that Big Finish with Zoe kind of have the Cybermen return to the wheel and, um, you know, they've done another trilogy. They've done a trilogy with the Sixth Doctor based on what happens there, but... Yeah, it, it's. I think the fact that these companions are put back to where they are is part of the tragedy as well. It's not just that they've lost their memory of their adventures with the Doctor. 
It's the fact that they're placed in, in Jamie's case, as I say, the middle of a, a very sort of bloody part of history. In Zoe's case, she's just popped back to be a computer slightly rejected by her peers. Um, yeah, it, it, the, the excellent characters. Uh, Greg, your thoughts on Jamie? Well, starting at the end, I think what's interesting about, you know, having everything but the memory of the first adventure, you know, taken from them. I mean, at least Zoe is aware that the Doctor is this mysterious traveler in space and time and so forth. Whereas, you know, in the Highlanders, which is a historical story, Jamie's just going to remember the Doctor is this this random guy that showed up one day and then left. You know, there's it, it's 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 much it's it's a much different you know relationship and, and set of memories. But no, I mean, Jamie is the most. I mean, there is no companion who is more associated with one era than Jamie is the Troughton era, and that's because he was in all but six episodes of the entire Troughton era, and and it's it it it's such a wonderful dynamic between the the two performers. Like they obviously had a very close relationship. They they just spark so well of, off of each other on screen. I mean, we know that the two of them would you know throw in little moments into the scripts and so on to, you know, entertain themselves. And, and that, that all comes across in the, in the relationship as it's portrayed. It's no surprise that, you know, years later when we do the two doctors that they, when you fade up on that, it's the doctor and Jamie. And it's like, Oh, we're, you know, we're in the Troughton era here. And obviously, you know, continuity wise, that's not the case, but, having Jamie there is what you need to be like, this is a second doctor story, you know, because without him, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. I just, I, he's, he's such a loyal friend, a loyal companion. And, you know, I love like, even up until the very last episode, episode 10 of the war games, you know, when the TARDIS appears on Gallifrey and they, they emerge and the, the time Lords are there waiting for them. And, Jamie immediately is, you know, stepping out in front, you know, waving his finger at them like now just wait a minute here because that's who he is. You know, he's this he's just the the most one of the most loyal friends that the doctor's ever had, you know, someone who's who will without even thinking about it like, you know, put himself out front to defend the doctor or defend Victoria or defend Zoe and yeah, it's it's the, the, there won't be another companion quite like him ever again, and yeah, he's 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 fantastic. Like, and and it's and it's so good. I mean, that we've been able to have, you know, Big Finish has been able to do audio stories with these, you know, all of the Troughton era companions because it, it's really, it, it 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 just it's just wonderful to hear you know all their voices again and you know and Fraser Hines has been such a great ambassador for the show on top of it all like yeah I mean what can you what can you say about Jamie yeah he's he's fantastic well our final point of discussion then is obviously the second Doctor his era uh, the fact that we've completed it uh, the fact we've completed the sixties I guess. Um, I love the second Doctor. I think the second Doctor is an absolutely great character. I I really do think that obviously Patrick um, William Hartnell originated the role, and but I think it was Patrick Troughton that kind of gave us an awful lot of what we see in future Doctors. I think 
you know, Tom Baker takes a bit of that performance. Matt Smith takes a bit of that performance. It, 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 there's so much to pick out of the second Doctor. So many great little things that just define what the character, who the character is. Um, it, it genuinely is my favourite Doctor, my favourite era. I think we've got a wonderful run of stories here. Yeah, there are a few duds, but there's no such thing of a doctor as a Doctor Who era that doesn't have a few duds, and that's fine. It's part of the deal. Um, I also like the idea that the War Games maybe isn't the end for the Second Doctor, which has been explored in various expanded media for a while, and obviously most recently Big Finish have kind of created this splinter Second Doctor Um whose adventures do continue beyond the war games with him working for the CIA. Very early days into that, uh, at the time we record this, obviously there are more Second Doctor big finish sets due in the coming years. We know that at some point he gets reunited with Jamie. And I love that. I love the idea that in some way, shape or form, the Second Doctor continues beyond this point. Um, But in terms of Patrick Troughton, what an excellent doctor he was and just what a phenomenal performance we see all the way from Power of the Daleks up till the very last moments of the war games like that. That trial scene is genuinely one of the best performed scenes by any actor in the role of the doctor at all. It's brilliant. Um, so, Jimmy, one last time, let's talk about the second doctor. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He's I love the whole 60s era. I mean, Hartman's my favourite, of course. I never make a sequel to that. But Troughton is right up there. Like, my top four doctors fluctuate, but he's always in the top floor. So it depends what I've seen or heard or watched most recently. And so at the moment, having just finished this marathon, of course, he's right there in second place. He's a brilliant actor, a brilliant performer, and he plays the character so well right from the early days where he's a bit silly and nutty with the whole you know, smashing a lawyer's head on a desk and asking him if he has headaches and always wanting to try on the funny hats. And then you see him develop and become serious and, you know, Victoria's era, you've got the whole doctor of law philosophy. Oh, what law? Whose philosophy? And just sort of this interesting mischievous figure that's mysterious right through to the end where he's just this defeated, sad person who has no way of saving his companions and is just utterly resigned and heartbroken and then dies. I mean, it's an incredible story arc. He changes and develops and grows and he's always always a good performance. No matter how great or how terrible the story, anywhere in between, he's always giving it his all. He's always, you know, you can always see that glint in his eye and that personality and it's just, yeah, such an amazing performance and it's so good that he got to come back so many times. I mean, the three Doctors, the five Doctors, the two Doctors and in all of them he's like, you know, he looks a little older of course. It's been, you know, 10, 20 whatever years but he's still got the same personality. He hasn't changed at all. He's still just as much the Doctor as he ever was and so, yeah, I absolutely love his ear and the fact that we get so much more of it after it's already finished in those three stories it's just yeah he's one of the best absolutely one of the best and what about you greg i would say and i mean 
please don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I, I love all of the classic doctors for sure. And, and there's been some fantastic actors that have played the part, but I, I, I keep coming back to this. I think that Patrick Troughton is probably the best actor of the original classic series doctors. And you can really see that in his era because like Jimmy was saying, he evolves through so many different takes on the character. You know, when, when it starts, I mean, power of the Daleks, he's being very mysterious, you know, very dark, you know, he's, he's deliberately hiding things about himself from, from Ben and Polly. But when you, then you get into the, you know, the, the silly hat, you know, era, the brief little run of Highlanders and underwater menace when he's kind of ridiculous. And then, then you, you know, as a moon base, you get a lot more serious. He becomes again, a lot darker. Like in season four, he's often manipulative by season five. He's doing the thing where he's, you know, putting himself forward as kind of an idiot, but really like deep down, he's the one in charge, the one operating things from behind the scenes. And then by the time you get to season six, I mean, even though we know that Troughton was, you know, tired of the role and and he's in a lot of these, you know, thrown together, padded out stories, like he still like he turns up the energy, you know, he, he makes it more slapstick. He makes it more silly. And all of a sudden, like he's, you know, he's the most electric thing on the screen. And so even in some of the, some of the stories, which tend to drag on, like if you just watch what Troughton's doing, like that will keep you entertained no matter what else, because he's, he's just, he, he has just this deep understanding of like how to keep things fresh and how to keep things entertaining. I mean, yeah, I, I think he, he just, a, just an absolutely fantastic performer. Um, I mean, the character's great, obviously, you know, you would, you'd have needed someone like him, if not him to solidify the part after William Hartnell left. And he did that and more, um, by you know the end of his era, when we introduce a, a third doctor, I mean, no one's really questioning the idea of doing that because he was able to take the role and and just wrap his arms around it and make it his own in, in such a such a powerful way. You know, there's the the story that you know Hartnell said there's only one man in Britain who can take over the you know take over this part, and it's Patrick Troughton. And you know, I don't know how true that all is, but it's certainly correct. You know, I, I, I don't know that there's anyone else they could have found that could have done this as well. And yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's just so it's, it's such a shame that we're missing so much of his era and that so much of it we need to watch now on his reconstructions or animations, because even in, you know, stories who, whose reputation isn't the best, like I know if we had, the moving pictures, we'd be able to just see more of Patrick Troughton acting. And and I, I mean, any, any second doctor episode recovery that ever happens, you know, going forward, I will be just over the moon because I'll get to see 25 more minutes of, of him. And that's, that's really the best I can say about it. He's, he's one of the best doctors. He's probably the best actor of the classic doctors. It's, it's, yeah, he, he was fantastic. I, I don't know what else to say. Absolutely. It's, he does have the ability to elevate any material whatsoever and he never gives up. He never, ever, ever sort of 
goes, no, this material's rubbish. I'm not going to fire on all cylinders. Every single episode he is in, he is excellent. And we know for a fact that other doctors sort of looked at a script and went, this is rubbish. I'm just going to read my way through it. Um, you know, it's not an unreasonable thing to say that. We never, ever got that from Troughton, no matter what it was, no matter how tired he was, tired of the role he was, we always get 100% thrown into his Doctor. And I would agree with you, Greg, I think of all the classic Doctors, he's by far the best actor. And I think, to be perfectly honest, most other classic Doctor actors would acknowledge that. Um so as ever, it's been a real treat sort of discussing this. It's it's such a great era. It's such a, it's a great set of stories as well. You know, season six, it does have its duds. It does drop the ball on occasion, but we, we do still have things like the mind robber, the invasion, the war games that are just top tier stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's been great to cover it all. So we'll we'll return uh, in the not too distant future in colour um, as we discuss season seven. It's going to be a bit of a novelty doing a whole season in one episode of this podcast. We haven't done that since season two, I think. Um, so yeah, it's I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to us venturing into the next era, but we're, we're definitely leaving an excellent one behind here. Um, so. We are going to leave it there. So I will say thank you and goodbye to Jimmy. Thanks. Looking forward to continuing to the new era. And I will say thank you and goodbye to Greg. Had a great time as always. We'll see you next time. Looking forward to season seven in the not too distant future. Goodbye now.